Today we are uh, continuing with our Arba'in al-Nawi and we're beginning hadith number 19. And this is a hadith related by Ibn Abbas anhu, or Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu. And he narrates, كنت خلف رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يوما فقال يا غلام إني أعلمك كلمات He says that I was behind the Prophet ﷺ one day and he's referring to behind in a ride like uh, on an animal and then the Prophet ﷺ said to him يا غلام O young boy إني أعلمك كلمات I'm going to teach you some words احفظ الله يحفظك which could be translated as be mindful of Allah and Allah Ta'ala will protect you be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will be right and you will find him right in front of you. When you ask, ask of Allah. And when you seek help, seek help from Allah. That and and know this for a fact that if every, if all the people were to gather against you, excuse me, were to gather together to benefit you with something, they would not be able to benefit you with, with anything except what Allah has already written for you. And if they were to gather against you to harm you with something, they would not be able to harm you except for what Allah has already written for you. That the pens have been lifted and the pages have dried. So this is a hadith found in Tirmidhi and in other places as well. And there are different narrations that have slightly longer wording. But this is the hadith that we're going to stick with, inshallah ta'ala. Like we said, this is mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas. Now who is Abdullah ibn Abbas? He was the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ because Al-Abbas was the uh, uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. And he was one of the ones that entered into Islam later on. Uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas himself, he was quite young. He was born in the year three before Hijrah. So three years before the Hijrah, which means that the Prophet ﷺ passed away in the 10th year of Hijrah, which means that he was only 13 years old when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. And yet you find that he has narrated so many ahadith and he had gathered so much knowledge. How was that the case? Because as a young man, even after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he would go to the homes of the various Sahaba and ask and learn and constantly be seeking knowledge. Always be asking the various Sahaba, tell me about the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, tell me what happened, and so on and so forth. So he was very, very, um, he had a, a great zeal for the knowledge of Islam. Um, and also, another reason why he was so blessed, mashallah, was because uh, the Prophet ﷺ made a specific dua for him. In fact, the Prophet, he narrates himself that the Prophet ﷺ, وَضَعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, uh, يَدَهُ بَيْنَ that the Prophet ﷺ took his hand and put it in between my shoulders. Now, I don't know if that was in the shoulders, on the chest, or on the back. But the Prophet ﷺ put his hand on this young man and said, That the Prophet ﷺ made this beautiful dua and said, Oh Allah, said, Oh Allah, give him knowledge in this religion 
and teach him the correct understanding. And wallahu ta'ala alam, but when the, the verb afaqaha comes up, it kind of implies the idea of learning fiqh and becoming a faqih. So knowing Islamic law. And then at ta'wil, the implication is that this is about Quran. So it's as if the Prophet wallahu alam, it seems that the Prophet was making dua that he would be a faqih and he would be a mufassir, somebody who understands the Quran so well and understands fiqh so well. And subhanAllah, he even received this sort of uh, laqab or this uh, kunya, this, this nickname of what? Of tarj- tarjuman al-Quran, which means like, like the interpreter of the Qur'an because of how well he studied the Qur'an and how well he uh, knew all of its meanings and the various words and so on and so forth. Now, he also narrated 1,660 ahadith. However, like I said, most of them were not directly from the Prophet because he was very young. Most of them were through different sahaba. However, in this particular narration, he is clearly saying, I was with the Messenger of, of Allah So this is like a very special hadith from his perspective. He's, he's, you know, you could imagine he's excited to say that this is something that I d- memorized directly. The Prophet was telling me this personally. So it's very, very uh, personal and, and very beloved to him. Um, it's also uh, interesting to note that even with the fact that he was a faqih and he was an alim and he was a scholar and he was a teacher and so on and so forth, that did not take away from his bravery at the age of 27. Yes, the young age of 27, when most of us are still addicted to video games. He, at the age of 27, made, he traveled all the way to North Africa and fought jihad fi sabilillah and was a warrior at that time. Young age of 27, he was a warrior, even though he had so much ilm and knowledge and you think, oh, well, just sit back and give yourself excuses and I need to share this knowledge with everybody and if I die, it's going to be such a loss to humanity. He didn't give himself any excuses. What did he say? I, if they're participating in jihad, then I need to uh, do so as well. I can't lose out on that ajr. So subhanAllah, it just goes to show the uh, sincerity. He later on became a governor of Basra and then he died later on at the age of 71 and the uh, uh, funeral prayer, the janazah was prayed, was led by Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyyah. Uh, and so, that is the brief, brief encapsulation of the life of uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Tarjuman al-Qur'an. And so now let's get into the hadith itself. We're only going to cover uh, just a little bit of the hadith today. I'm going to keep it a little bit brief so, brief so I can do it in two parts and not make it too long, inshallah ta'ala. So the first part, so it begins, uh, and Abdullah ibn Abbas, he says what? كُنْتُ خَلْفَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ يَوْمًا فَقَالَ يَا غُلَامٌ إِنِّي كَلِمَاتٍ So the, the fact of the matter is, he's saying يَا غُلَامٌ, which indicates that this is a young boy that is before puberty. And again, the Prophet passed away when he was only 13 years old. So this is happening when? When he's 10 years old, 9 years old, uh, I don't know, 11 years old, Allah Alam, around that range. And this is really important to pay attention to because it goes to show that the Prophet was keen on teaching very young kids their aqidah, correct beliefs, correct understanding of the deen. It wasn't just only when they're older and when they're more mature that I'm going to start addressing these issues. No, you see at a very young age, and this is also the case that he, the Prophet would teach Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. He would also teach An-Nu'man ibn Bashir, and so on and so forth. There are many different uh, different youngsters from amongst the Sahaba who were taught at a young age, and this is highlighting the importance of making sure that aqidah and correct beliefs are instilled at such a young age so that the, uh, a young child is raised in such a way that they have a solid foundation in their beliefs. So, says, Ya khulam, inni u'allimuka kalimatin. Says, I'm gonna teach you some word, words. Now, this is also important. Oh, and by the way, just in terms of, uh, this whole idea of people being young, I also wanted to mention that it's interesting that we live in a society that unfortunately has a detrimental effect on youth by teaching them that they don't only, they only grow up when they're 18 or 21 or whatever the case is. This idea, uh, doesn't exist in Islam. Uh, 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 this idea that we have in, 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 in our culture, which is that you have children, you have adults, and in between you have adolescents. This idea of an adolescent, you don't find it in, present in the concept of fiqh, 
right? In fiqh, you're either a child who is, you know, ghair uh, balagh and, and therefore uh, non, let's say, rashid and, 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 and so on and so forth. He's not mature and therefore he's ghair mukallif. He's not, he's, he has no responsibility. Versus uh, an adult who does. But, you know, that's it. There's just two categories. There isn't this middle category of adolescence, which is usually categorized as someone who is old enough to be independent, but young enough to dodge any responsibility, which is the worst combination ever. Because now I'm free to do everything, and I can do anything without any consequence. Uh, this is a foreign concept to God's law, to the Sharia in and of itself. So I hope that's clear. And furthermore, it's very sad when we expect youth to... Uh, perform very well when it comes to the secular sciences, and yet when it comes to deen, the bar is extremely low. And so you see that the Prophet is raising the bar for this young man, trying to teach him very complex and very beautiful concepts. Us, unfortunately, you find sometimes an adolescent will be expected to know something as complex as calculus, but then when you ask him, can you translate Surah Al-Fatiha, and he can't, you're like, oh, that's okay. Why is that okay? How is that okay? How is it okay that you know calculus and you don't know how to translate Fatiha? Please explain that one to me. So, uh, subhanAllah, this is uh, a problematic. So, then the Prophet says, what? I'm going to teach you some words. Now, why is the Prophet saying this? Two, because oftentimes youngsters, you know, their attention is here and there. You have to grab their attention and say, listen, I want you to pay close attention. This is going to be important. And this is something that, subhanAllah, you find also in Surah Al-Luqman, when Al-Luqman is going to begin his, 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 his lesson to his son, right as he's beginning, Allah says, And this is such an important lesson, that it says, while he was instructing him. What does that imply? That the Qur'an is highlighting the fact that Luqman didn't just start talking while the kid was eating or playing or this or that or the other. No. While he was instructing him means that prior to this, Sit down, maybe he said, listen, I, I want to teach you something. Or maybe he said, in a week from now, I want us to sit down and talk. Or uh, please, you know, come into my office or whatever the case is, right? He set it up in such a way where this youngster knew that, a, that something important was coming. And so this style is found in the Quran and Sunnah as well. So we should learn that if you're going to convey an important message, you know, do some sort of a preparation to let, it, let the person know what's coming so they are paying close attention. So what is the advice? Be mindful of Allah. So the, technically the word hilth, the word hilth, you know, a hafiz of the Qur'an is who? Somebody who preserves, somebody who uh, keeps uh, uh, protected, somebody who... And so when you say ihfazillah, it could mean to protect Allah. But how do you... Obviously, it doesn't make any sense. How can you protect Allah? So it's understood in the Arabic language that what? This means that protect the laws of Allah. Protect the, you know, hurumat, the, well, you know, uh, the, the boundaries, the hududillah, the, the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Protect and keep and protect and maintain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your mind and in your thinking. This is the implication here by ihfazillah. And then as a response that So the fact that it's majzum goes to show that this is called jawab al-talab. Right? So this is called jawab al-talab. And this is a responding to a demand. Now it also could very loosely fall into the category of mushakala. Mushakala means resembling. And so there is this, you know, a shakil is a form. And so it's, it's, it's loosely tied to this concept. And this concept you find all over the place. This is usually known in the Western culture as the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you wish to be, have done unto you. Right? That's sort of mimicking or paralleling, right? Do unto others what you would like them to respond back to you. So, sort of a mirror concept. Now, this concept is so prevalent in Quran and Sunnah. Because the whole idea is, whatever you put out to the world, that's what you're going to expect back. 
That's what Yom Al-Qiyamah is. Yom Al-Qiyamah is one big look in the mirror. You get to finally see what you, who you really are. Let's take a look at my deeds, right? And so subhanAllah, this is a legal maxim, a qa'ida fiqhiyyah in Islam, known as al-jaza'u min jins al-amal, that the recompense is uh, from the same genus or the same jins. That's where, that's where the word genus comes from, by the way. It comes from jins. It's in Arabic originally. But genus, like classification, it's from the same uh, class as the amal, as the deed. This is a, 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 a legal maxim. Furthermore, the famous proverb, which is sometimes considered a hadith, but it's too weak to be considered really a hadith. It's kamatudinu tudan. As you treat others, you will be treated, right? And in the Quran, you find so many examples of this. Allah says what? Fadkuruni adkurkum. Remember me and I'll remember you. Allah says, in tansuru Allah yansurkum. If you give victory to Allah, Allah is going to give you victory. Awfu bi'ahdi, ufi bi'ahdikum. That if you fulfill my oath, then I'm gonna fulfill, or my, my covenant, then I'm gonna fulfill your covenant. Allah says, Ya ayyuhaladina amru, ida qila lakum tafasahu fil majalisi, fafsahu yafsahillahu lakum. That, oh, you have believed, when it is said to you, make space in a gathering, then Allah commands what? Make space, and Allah Ta'ala is going to give room and make things ample and make things comf- comfortable for you. So there's that back and forth. Allah says what? Wa ahsin, kama ahsan Allahu ilaykum. Be excellent as Allah is excellent towards you. Hal jazaul ihsani illa al-ihsan. What is the reward for excellence other than excellence? You see this always, this paralleling or this mirroring going back and forth, subhanAllah. And perhaps one of the most beautiful is, uh, is what? Waliyafu waliyasfahu ala tuhibbuna an yaghfir Allahu lakum. That you should overlook, pardon and forgive people. Why? Don't you, wouldn't you love that Allah is going to forgive you? So you give that out into the world and it's going to come back to you. Now, al-mushakila though specifically, it's more often referred to uh, when it comes to the negative. So for instance, that they plot and they plan, and Allah is plotting and planning against them. So because they're doing something, they have an evil plot, that's what's going to come back to them. Uh, Allah says, It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. That the, re- the recompense for evil is evil, just like it. That the, the munafiqeen, they were saying, Oh, we were hanging out with the believers, but we're just making fun of them. We're not really serious about them. What does Allah say in response? That Allah is actually mocking them. Subhanallah. That it'll be said to them on judgment day, that uh, we have forgotten you just as you forgot this meeting of ours today, of yours today. And Allah Ta'ala says, uh, That they are mocking the believers, Allah is mocking them. So subhanAllah, I'm giving lots of examples to highlight that this idea of, you know, what goes around comes around, right? What you get, what you put in. This idea of the golden rule, subhanAllah, it is highlighted and really perfected, you could say, and I, I'm just mentioning Qur'an. And then if you go to the Sunnah, there's so much, but I'm just gonna, uh, you know, limit myself to this perfect, this, this hadith, this one hadith, which is what? That, you know, keep Allah in mind and you will be preserved. Now, let's get into the meaning of this. What does it mean to, uh, the, the command itself is actually explained in the Quran. Allah Ta'ala says, regarding the believers and describing the believers, Allah says, Al-Hafiduna li those who are preserving what? The boundaries and the uh, limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, This is what you were promised for every person who returned to Allah and was a hafiz, somebody who preserved and protected. Who are these people? Allah describes them. Whoever feared the most merciful, whoever feared Ar-Rahman in the unseen and came with a heart that was constantly returning back to him, that was always repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this idea of hifz or hafiz or hafizun is described in multiple places in the Quran. You want to develop these qualities, ihfadullah, and then Allah ta'ala is going to protect you as well. 
Yes, what does this concept of yahfazq mean? What does it mean when Allah says, therefore because you are preserved, because you preserve Allah in your mind and because you keep Allah in mind, what does it mean that you will be preserved? There's a very beautiful quote from Ali ibn Abi Talib, he says, when he was told, imagine this scenario, Ali ibn Abi Talib, he's in a scenario where people are telling him, people are plotting to kill you. There's like a group of people of assassins, they're coming to get you. What does he say in response? Uh, he says, إِنَّ مَعَ كُلِّ رَجُلٍ مَلَكَيْنِ يَحْفَظَانِهِ مِمَّا لَمْ يُقَدَّرُ فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْقَدَرُ خَلَّيَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ قَدَرِ اللَّهِ He says, each person has two angels with him uh, that guard him from everything that is not decreed. Anything that's not decreed, these malakan, these malakain, these are, they're going to be protecting. When the decree of death comes, finally when it's time for this person to die, that's when these two angels, they back off and they just leave the matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in other words, he's saying, listen, everything, there's a million terrible things that could be happening right now, right? The, the, earth could, the, the earth could, you know, fly out of orbit. I don't know, meteors could come smash the place. I don't know, the seas could erupt, the volcanoes could go, anything could happen, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting and preserving this earth and the angels are making sure that everything stays safe for us. It's only at the time of death, that's when they back off and say, okay, your time is up and then, you know, the chaos ensues and your life is taken, subhanAllah. And it doesn't just mean that Allah is going to preserve you as an individual. What's so beautiful about this promise is that it goes beyond you as an individual and goes to the people around you as well. So for instance, we know uh, uh, that in the in the uh, you know story of uh, Musa alayhi salam in Khidr, that's mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions what? وَأَمَّا الْجِدَرُ فَكَانَ لِغُلَامَيْنِ يَتِيمَيْنِ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ وَكَانَ تَحْتَهُ كَنْزٌ لَهُمَا وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا SubhanAllah that, that Khidr when he was explained to Musa alayhi salam why he uh, built up that wall he said I built up the wall and preserved it why? because underneath it there was a treasure and that treasure is going to be later on, way many years from now, is going to be inherited by two young kids. Those two young kids are too young to know what to do with it now. So I need to preserve that wall so that in years from now, when it starts to come down and they start to, you know, I don't know, manage it or whatever, they're going to find that treasure. And then he specifically mentions, وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا That their father was somebody who was righteous. In other words, because the father was righteous, he was commanded by Allah Ta'ala to go set these kids up for life. How amazing. This father's already gone. He's passed away. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking care of the affairs of his child because of the righteousness of the father who is not there to take care of his kids himself. Subhanallah. And this is something that subhanallah is, is, is mentioned uh, in other places. For example, the idea is you always try to be mindful of Allah and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in times of ease so that when you have a, t- a moment of weakness, Allah ta'ala covers for you. And this is exactly what's mentioned in Surah, uh, in the, uh, Surah Yusuf when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions وَلَقَدْ أَهَمَّتْ بِهِ وَهَمَّ بِهَا that, And she certainly was determined to seduce him and he was also desirous and inclined towards her as well. It's not like he's just, you know, oh, I don't even see females. Uh, that, that, you know, that, that switch in me is shut off. No, he's a man. He's a human being. This is the whole idea that uh, messengers of Allah are men, they're human, or they're, they're people that you can relate to. They feel pain, they have attraction, etc. All these things that apply to them as well. So Allah is saying that yes, he was attracted to her, and uh, she was attracted to him, and he was attracted to her as well. Had he not seen the evidence and proof of his Lord. And this we can go into the tafsir, but anyway, there's a bunch of opinions as to what that means. But just leave it aside. The point is that Allah says next, كَذَلِكَ لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ وَالْفَحْشَاءِ that Allah says, and thus it, it was that we should avert from him evil and immorality. Indeed, he was one of our chosen servants. So subhanAllah, because he was somebody 
of ikhlas, somebody who was sincere, somebody who was chosen by Allah Father, somebody who was blessed, somebody who was constantly close and worshipping Allah Ta'ala in all of his time of ease, and he was somebody who was so sincere, then in this moment of weakness, Allah says what? We averted that evil from him. We helped him out. Where he might have fallen short, we made sure that he was taken care of. SubhanAllah. How beautiful is this? That if we keep Allah Ta'ala in our minds when it's easy for us, then when the moment comes where it's hard, inshallah Allah Ta'ala is going to give us that extra boost that will uh, help us out. And then I'll just mention one last portion of this hadith, and then inshallah we'll continue next week. The next portion is this. Uh, uh, the second statement is, What does that mean? Be mindful of Allah and you will find Him before you. So this is a beautiful, beautiful point. That you will find Allah Ta'ala in front of you. In everything that you do, you're going to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that. What does that mean? This means that the believer has a divine, has, has such a, a, a beautiful status that no matter what he's doing, no matter what he's engaged in, he is seeing it as a divine manifestation of Allah's will. You know, it's not that, you know, uh, I don't know, something just happened. It happened because Allah determined it. It's not just that I was successful. I was successful because Allah blessed me. It wasn't that I'm just going through a difficulty. I'm going through a difficulty because Allah is testing me. And so on and so on and so forth. That, and, or you could say that Allah is refining me. Allah Ta'ala is pushing me to my limits and making sure that I become stronger. He's testing me out and testing my mettle so that I become tougher. And so on and so forth. The believer is the person who, in every moment, it's not that they are dealing with person X, Y, or Z. They feel that this is... Subhanallah, my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they see Allah ta'ala in everything. And I, I just, you know, I was, uh, I remembered a, a chapter in a book called, uh, there's a book called Undeniable, and it goes through evidences of God and so forth. It's written by a guy named Doug Axe. And Doug Axe is a, he's a, a biologist, and he's a PhD, and he writes, you know, he's, anyway, he's an excellent writer. And so in this book called Undeniable, he has a, a, a citation. So I wanted to quote this, I just wanted to read it because I thought it was so nice. I thought I should just quote it verbatim, inshallah. So I just want to read to you this section. He goes, he's talking about his youth, and he says, I recall endless fascination as a child watching houseflies frolic and groom, ants march along their invisible trails, and pill bugs roll themselves into protective balls until danger passed, wondering how such small creatures could be so complete in their behavior. So learn from, cho- so learn from the children. If the exhilaration is gone, I guarantee the problem isn't that wonders have ceased or that you, your advanced understanding has emptied them of all mystery. He's like, look, if you're not fascinated by the world around you, it's not because you know so much that you have the answers to everything. That's never going to be the case. The fact of the matter is, there's always, just like a child is so wondrous about the world, you can always have more wonders. There's always more things to learn. It's not the, the, that you've learned so much that the world has exhausted its information. That's never going to happen. It's impossible. There's always more to learn. So it's up to us to always maintain that childlike fascination with the world around us. Right? There's certain, I mentioned this in several khutbas before, but just to, to reiterate the point, there's certain things in childhood that you want to grow out of, like immaturity and so on and so forth. But there's certain things you want to preserve. For example, health. When you're young, you're healthy. And so you want to maintain that. Another thing is interest and fascination with the world. Just the same way a child looks at the world and is fascinated by what they see around them, the child, uh, you as an adult, you shouldn't lose that. You should still be amazed with whatever it is that you're studying and learning in child Tata. He says, don't let the internet replace your first-hand experience of life, uh, but do let it extend your experience. Having uh, dived in, uh, having dived in, take another look at fish, for example. And I mean just look at them without trying to figure out uh, uh, or classify them. Or on second thought, do classify them, but more as a moviegoer than a uh, ichthyologist. Apparently, ichthyologist is somebody who classifies fish. I didn't know that. And let them exercise... Uh, uh, and, and let the exercise provoke your wonder. So look at how beautifully he explains this. He says, How on earth do we find ourselves on a planet where the great emotive categories of film, story, and stage are so beautifully represented by fish, of all things? Are you in the mood for fantasy? Try 
uh, Merlet's scorpion fish or the mandarin fish. More inclined towards drama or romance, you can't beat the well-known Siamese fighting fish and the red-lipped batfish, though the options are numerous. Horror? Lots of possibilities here as well. My picks would be the giant uh, stargazer and the fang, fang tooth. By the way, I suggest you Google all these because honestly, when you look at the pictures, you'll understand exactly why he's saying this one is like horror. This one is like romance. This one is like et cetera, et cetera. Like you really see it and, you, and these emotions do get uh, 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 provoked and, 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 and uh, arise because of these images. It's really amazing how beautiful these fish are. And he's just picked a random category like fish. And of course, we've already consigned the mighty Salmon as the master of the epic tragedy. What's going on here? Why this strong resonance between the physical appearance of fishes and our own emotional makeup? And why is this so typical of life? Why uh, We can't help noticing just that life comes in staggering variety and forms, but also that many of these forms strike a chord deep within us, as though they were meant to do just that. So for us to conclude merely that each distinct form of life had to be invented uh, would be to grasp at something with the head only to miss something bigger with the heart. In life, we have not, uh, we have proof not just that a great inventor exists, but more significantly that, more significantly that a great creator exists, someone who invested not just intellectually, but also emotionally, uh, just as we invest in our own creations. So subhanAllah, I thought that was such a beautiful point. That when you pay attention and try to not just intellectually grasp various sciences or various categories or try to appreciate the world, but appreciate that Allah Ta'ala is the designer and made things in such a way to be unique and in, not just made them for various functions, but also for different emotional responses. When you approach the world from that perspective, then the world becomes a much more fascinating and beautiful place. And so to, in my opinion, this is a beautiful manifestation of the, of the advice that the Prophet, the Prophet is giving to a young man. And again, this is not some deep philosophical course. This is to a young kid. Keep Allah in your mind and what will happen? You will see Allah Ta'ala in everything and you will be in complete awe of this creation because of how amazing the Creator is. And so inshallah Ta'ala with that we close and inshallah we will continue uh, with the comments and questions. May Allah Ta'ala make us of those who always keep Allah Ta'ala in our minds and in our hearts. And ameen ya rabbal alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.